the prayer for my prayer book. And um, it says, pray and make supplication. This is confirmation from uh, yesterday. Amen. Oh, Lord, I God, we thank thee for thy fatherhood and that thou has revealed thyself unto us through Jesus Christ, thy son, who is our savior. We thank thee for thy loving care of us through another day for life and health and all the comforts we enjoy. Bless us as parents and children. Keep us from sinning against thee. Help us to be faithful in our work, thoughtful of each other, kind and considered and helpful to all. Watch over us through the night. If it please thee, give us sleep and bring us in safety and comfort to another day. May every day bring us a more perfect trust in thee, so that with our days we may learn how better to walk in thy ways and to do thy holy will and to become more like him who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And God, give us spiritual bread this day. Continue to show me the things you want me to see. So when I speak, Master, it will be only those things you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. also want to read today's uh, devotional. I'm sorry. I must finish the work he gave me to do. Because it's all in connection with, with the message of today. And it says, Jesus' work, philosophy, part one. <laughs> Instead of confining Jesus to church on Sunday, let's study his work philosophy, which is his attitude, values, and beliefs on how to get things done. The principles he lived by call for these. One, be clear about your assignment, he said. I must finish the work he gave me to do. This is what Jesus said in talking about what his father had given him to do. If Jesus is the teacher and he says, I must finish the work, what should we be saying? Jesus understood that focus maximizes skill and opportunity. So if, you, if you're talented, energetic, and active, and you're still not seeing concrete results, your problem may be lack of focus. When Nehemiah was rebuilding Jerusalem walls, his enemy said, come, let us meet together. That's when Nehemiah sent back this message. I'm doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Number two, prioritizing tasks in the order of their importance. When you don't do what has to be done according to its importance, jobs start to arrange themselves according to their urgency. And when that happens, you miss great opportunities. The Bible says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. To the disciples, this probably looked like a diversion because it wasn't the shortest route to where they wanted to go. <laughs> but there was a woman in Samaria just wanted to redeem, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus wanted to redeem a vessel through which he reached the entire city with the gospel. So imagine had he diverted because of what the masses had said. Mm. Bottom line, Jesus, Jesus was clear about his priorities. Are you? Number three, creating a de 
definitive timetable. In other words, set deadlines and stick with them. Jesus knew he had only three and a half years to get the job done, and he made every day count. One of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is, I'll get to it later. To succeed in life, let Jesus' work philosophy become your master plan. Let Jesus' work philosophy become your master plan. Amen. I thought that was extremely good. We are in the book of Titus. Hallelujah, Jesus. And so the title of today's uh, lesson is Qualifications for Leaders. And, you know, when I start a new chapter, I'd like to review the um, introduction because it really kind of lets you know more or less what you're about to embark upon. And um, Titus is such a short book. So um, Titus was one one of the circle of young men who were the many witnesses to whom the Apostle Paul committed the things given to him so they could pass them on to others who in turn would teach others also. Did y'all hear that? Titus was one of the circle of young men who were the many witnesses to whom the Apostle Paul committed the things given to him so that they could pass them on to others who in turn would teach others also. You hear what he's saying? That he was learning himself from the main source, but passing it on to others who who were possible leaders who in turn passed it on to others, who in turn passed it on to others. Amen. It says, he together with Timothy traveled with the Apostle Paul. While Timothy was half Jewish and half Gentile, Titus was a purely Gentile extraction. Now, the historical setting, Timothy served as Paul's special apostolic delegate to Ephesus. In like manner, Titus served as Paul's special apostolic delegate to Corinth. Isn't that something? Uh, It says about A.D. 63-64, Paul traveled with Timothy and Titus. He left Timothy in Ephesus and traveled on to Crete with Titus. Paul left Titus and Crete to provide leadership for the church there. Somewhere during the period, Paul wrote letters to Timothy and Titus. Titus was apparently less reserved than Timothy. The precise date of the letter and, and who bore it to Titus is not known. The intimate occasion of the letter was to tell Titus that Paul had meant to send Aratimus and Titus to replace him at Crete and to instruct Titus to come to him at Nicopolis. The last mention of Titus is is in 2 Timothy 4.10. He had apparently visited Paul in prison in Rome and had departed to Dalmatia, perhaps to start a new work there. In his short epistle to Titus, Paul wrote directions similar to those he had written in his first letters to Timothy because Paul was consistent with his message. The difference between the two epistles is one of emphasis. In 1 Timothy, Paul emphasis is on the leaders of the local church, and Titus, the emphasis is on the organization of the local church. Amen? So, as we get, go, get into the scriptures, and he um, says, I, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness or according to godliness. 
Now, this is Paul's greeting and blessings. Um, and in, it is a reminder of who Paul is in Christ and how, and which is an explanation of the gospel of all humanity. He is acknowledging who he is in Christ and how he came into Christ, which is only giving you the explanation of the gospel. Because when he tells you all of that, he's telling you what the gospel is saying, and it goes for whosoever will. Okay? So I love how he does that because it's a constant reminder to the people who he is talking to, who Christ is, why he came, and what he has done for him, which he's going to do for anybody else, okay? It says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, before the time began. He is constantly telling them about the hope of life, of eternal life that is given to everyone. Now, when you constantly remind the leaders of, the, of such, they should be also preaching that gospel to, to the ones that they're over. He says... Um, and also, he, Paul was letting him know that, uh, that the call to, was done by Christ. His call was done by Christ. What is the call? To salvation. We think we're called to ministry. You've been chosen for ministry. We are called first to salvation. And, and, and then second, chosen to do ministry. Okay? He says, but... But have in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Mm, glory. He's, he's letting them know who has chosen him to preach and why. And that you have to stay on that platform. You don't come up with another doctrine of philosophy. To Titus, my own son. After the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. After he addresses Titus with a blessing, and, uh, and that's what that blessing is in four, which you notice when he talks to any of them or write to any of them, he always uh, ends his salutation with a blessing on the teacher or the preacher, whomever he is contacting. Paul's greetings and addressings to his fellow laborers is always about God's grace, mercy, and choosing of the, of the apostle. So not to forget, one, that you were called first to salvation, two, chosen as a servant, a slave to ministry, three, appointed to certain duties, and four, to be an example leader. In other words, walk the talk and aim for holy living. You see, it's a lot that has to be accomplished as a leader. Okay. The intent of his letter was to make sure the churches first have sound doctrine. Two, order in the church. Three, good works. Good works. And four, grace for daily living. Now, let me repeat these again, because I think sometimes we get so common in place of what we do on a regular basis that we forget the purpose of why we've been chosen to do what we do and what we're supposed to accomplish with what we do. First, to have sound doctrine. Second, order in the church. 
three, good works, and four, grace for daily living. Now, Paul often referred to himself as a bond servant. And he said, what we need to understand that a bond servant was the least of slaves in biblical times. There were slave slavery began in the Bible in Jesus' days. They did not happen with black folks. Like that was the beginning of slavery, and so we are due so much for for the slave. Slavery has been from the very beginning. Okay? So he called himself a bond servant, which was the least of slaves in the biblical times. When Paul uses that term, he is expressing his, his, his devotion, utter devotion. He's expressing his utter devotion to the Lord. Let me tell you something. We are slaves because there are two powers that are operating on this earth. And so without Christ, you're a slave to Satan. With Christ, we're slave to him. I'd rather be God's slave than to be a slave to Satan so that I'm not moved by everything that I hear and I see just because it's been presented there without me first in, in, inquiring with God, what is it that you want me to know? Okay? Now, uh, I'll read verses uh, 5 and 7, up to 7, I think. So he says, for this cause, left left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or uh, lacking, the things that are lacking, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee or commanded thee. So he's giving him the criteria of how to select elders in the, in the church. He says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not a curse of rioting or unruly. So, in these, in these, these chapters or verses, Paul began with his address due to a popular problem in that region called false teaching, <laughs> which was quite common in that region of Asia because of idolatry and worship of false gods, superstitions, and pride of literacy, which is another word for philosophy. That's my, that's my opinion. They were intellectuals, but they had more credence in your academic elect, uh, uh, um, literacy than they did in the truth of God's word. And most times, people who are really smart in that area and clever, they can convince you of things that are not even true, but it sounds true and it sounds good, so you buy it. You buy it, okay? Paul's directions and instructions were biblical, consistent, and the same for every church. This is important for churches to represent Jesus Christ and be unified in faith and love and have a bond of peace. In order for us to have a bond of peace in unity and faith and in love, then the, the biblical information has to be consistent, strictly biblical for the church to be the same across the board. It doesn't matter if the church is in another nation. If it's the church of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the doctrine is the same. It doesn't change because of, of the different of nations. There's only one race, 
It's called the human race. And all those who are born of, of Jesus Christ by his blood and his cross, we are all one, the same family. Doesn't matter about our dialogue or our language differences. Paul also reinforced this to every leader for cohesiveness within the church. So the leaders have to be consistent and the same with what they are teaching and presenting to other leaders in the, in the body of Christ. Okay, so this is why he's putting this emphasis on in these areas so that Titus, along with Timothy, will stay on board with what needs to be taught in order to draw those who are in darkness out of darkness and those who have heard the word to continue and will flow in what Jesus Christ has sent to them. Okay, so in six, he says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruliness. So he's talking about the leaders. This is the criteria for, for leaders. And so when he says uh, um, uh, blameless, he doesn't mean without sin, because there's none without sin. But he means without blame and rebuke. There would be no reason for you to be rebuked, because if you're wrong, you will accept the correction. Therefore, there's no blame there because you're not operating in the sin. Okay? It says a husband uh, uh, with uh, uh, one wife, that means, and that doesn't mean that single people cannot be elders, pastors, and all of this. It just means that husbands with a wife uh, cannot um, be married and not be faithful to his wife. You, in order not to be, you got to be faithful to the one who you're married to. You can't prevent doing things that sinful nature will call you to do if you have not committed your way to be righteous and holy before the Lord. You see what, see what I'm saying? So you, like elders say, you can't have many wives. Well, you may not be legally married to all those that you're messing around with. But if you're having sexual intercourse with them, that's considered as your wife. That's what the Bible says. That's why he says it, marriage is between one man and one woman. And you don't bring all the mother spirits into that bed into the marriage bed, because now you got a whole bunch of wives, even if it wasn't done by a legal means. But to God, you got a bunch of wives, <laughs> okay? Uh, elders and leaders must be men who, who love good and pursue what is holy. Jesus said, be thou holy, for I am holy. Holiness isn't feminine. It is a believer, because some reason people tend to think that holiness just applied to the female gender. It applies to believers, period, okay? He must be respectable with a good reputation, meaning that he has self-control. And, and then when he says, for bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-will, not soon angry, not given to wine, nor striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temper, temperate. He's saying that 
um, you must be respect, respectable, have a good reputation, you must have sound doctrine, and that sound doctrine comes from studying, teaching, and applying God's word to your own life. As teachers of the word, it is twofold to encourage sound doctrine in your preaching and teaching, and to refute and convict those who contradict the gospel. Okay? The Lord is more concerned about our character than the gift. And we focus on the gift. Now, as a bishop which, and, and uh, an elder, which are overseers, and another word is pastor, shepherd, and presbyter. They're all the same. Okay? In those offices, the maturity of it calls for the same qualifications. The, God is asking for you to operate in the, the same qualifications, no matter what that title is. Okay? So you got to be slow to anger. That means you need to be in control of your emotions. Okay? Uh, discipline. You have to learn to discipline yourself. Then those who are following you will, will then operate under the same, same kind of leadership that you're displaying. Do not have a spirit of content. So he doesn't drink to feel good and be high. Because I know we all want to qualify drinking and mainly with one story in the Bible at the wedding when Jesus turned water into wine. This is even before Jesus started his ministry and his mother already knew what he was capable of doing. So she says, you know, get him, get him some more wine. He, she knew he could do a miracle. So he, he even said, woman, you have me coming out before time. What did he mean? Showing the powers and the anointing that I have before it's time. Because in, in order for him to give them wine to replace the water, he had to do a miracle. And it wasn't time. But that miracle of changing water into wine was spiritual. It had nothing to do with having natural beverages that says, oh, it's okay if we drink. It was showing you how, as a believer, that you can have the infilling of the Holy Spirit that will lead and guide you and take care of you because when you are intoxicated with wine, you come up out of yourself and you do things that you don't ordinarily do, but it was probably in the back of your mind, and say things that you don't ordinarily say that was already in the back of your mind. So it has you coming up out of yourself being something that you were not created to be. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit comes in and, and work through you to do what you cannot do that's going to benefit others. It don't have you coming out of your sanity and operating out of, out of order. Amen? So that was God's first miracle. His first miracle was to let us know there is a power coming greater than our natural ability. Amen.
Okay, so it says, um, and you, you're not given over uh, to uh, uh, a brawler, which means you're not fighting and being, um, how can I put this? <laughs> you're controlling and manipulating people through physical force, beating women, bullying, amen. <laughs> Bullying women. That is not your privilege, nor is it your responsibility. It is wrong, and it is a sin. I don't care whether you're a leader or not. As a born-again husband, you don't act like that, okay? And when it, and when it talked about giving to filthy lucre, it means you're not money-hungry or greedy of financial gain. You know, isn't this interesting? Because a lot of these things that we have just uh, heard are some of the main things that go on with some of our leaders in, in our churches of today. And yet, people make excuses for that. They make excuses for why men who are operating as a pastor are, are, are so hoish by saying, well, that's just how men are. Find that in the Bible. That's just how men are. And, 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 and it, it is almost like a standard that especially, it is amazing. I have seen some of the most unattractive looking pastors that women are flocking over. Don't have no real charisma. And they're flocking over him because he has pastor on his name or have on a uniform but the, the the problem is or the question is why why what are you attractive to and and then as 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 a female if you feel attractive to a pastor who's married and you're married or just one of you are married, it's so out of order. You need to be, you know, to be holy, you have to work at it. It don't just come because you said yes to Jesus Christ. you got to work at holiness. And that goes for pastors on down the line. Amen? Um, so they, they must not operate in these kinds of traits in order to be the right kind of leaders because we lead more by example than by what we say. Amen? They must be men who, who love good, love good, and pursue it and pursue holiness. Okay, uh, number nine, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, also, I'm going to go back to verse 6 again because I didn't deal with uh, having faithful children not accused of rioting or unruly, which means not accused of insubordination and bad reputation. I know you all here like always say, well, you know, the children of, of, of pastor kids are a mess. Why? 
It should be just the reverse. But because I really think is because they spend more time at, at, at church and doing stuff like that than they do in their homes. You have to spend time with your children at home and you have to lead by example at home and, and not let somebody else like the wife just take care of the children all by herself while you out doing your own thing. And, and, and you ain't doing all that much for anybody in church but that you got to be at church all the time. Because I get a lot done, and I'm not here all the time. And when I'm here, I'm doing something of value in the church. I'm not just sitting up there uh, in a chair behind the desk looking foolish. Because anytime you just sitting up there and you ain't doing nothing, you look like a fool. <laughs> Trying to pretend like you're really busy or doing something. If I'm not doing paperwork or, you know, or something of that sort, then I go around and see things that needs to be done as far as cleaning and changing and fixing in the building to make sure that it's okay. Or having, trying to have a meeting with people about getting some things straight. You know what I'm saying? Being about the business of making sure the church is in order. That's what Paul told him. Make sure that the church is in order. It says that elders and leaders must exercise godly conduct and faithfulness at home to be the example before his children to follow for his children to become believers and act as such. Amen? Okay. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to say again, the Lord is more concerned with our character than he is with the gifts. If our character is right, then we can hold the gifts. If our character is messed up, then you will cause the gift to be aborted and you will crush people. So this is why he lets us know what we've been called to do as far as spiritual gifts. What we have to learn to do is that once you find that out, because what he's doing, he's taking you to the future to see where he's taking you to, not who you already are. So then he pulls you back and he says, okay, now let's begin to work. And you walk towards that. So you let him work on your character to, so that your character can hold the gift. It says the gift will make room for you. So once you know what the gift is, you go back and let God work on you. And the gift is ready, waiting for you. It's making room for you when you're ready to fit into the gift. And not the gift fitting into you. Amen. Addiction. Praise the Lord. The Lord bless you. May Yahweh, he who exists, kneel before you, making himself available to you as your heavenly father, so he can bestow upon you his promises and gifts, and keep you and guard you with a hedge of thorny protection that will prevent Satan and all your enemies from harming you. May he protect your body, soul, mind, and spirit, your loved ones, and all your possessions. Take that into your spirit. The Lord make his face shine upon you. May Yahweh, he who exists, illuminate the wholeness of his being toward you, continually bringing to you order so that you will fulfill your God-given destiny and purpose. And be gracious to you. May Yahweh, he who exists, provide you with perfect love and fellowship never leaving you and give you substance 
provision and friendship. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. May Yahweh, he who exists, lift up and carry his fullness of being toward you, bringing everything that he has to your aid, supporting you with his divine embrace and his entire being, and give you peace. May Yahweh, he who exists, set in place all you need to be whole and complete so you can walk worthy in victory moment by moment by the power of his Holy Spirit. May he give you supernatural health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfection, fullness, rest, harmony, as well as the absence of agitation and discord. In Jesus' name, and tell somebody about Jesus. Amen.